Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Today is podcast 93 as we continue our chronological study uh, in the Gospels. Now, we are in Passion Week right now. This is Tuesday, so this is part four now of a lot of stuff that we've been exploring on this one particular day leading to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So as always, if you've missed any of our previous podcasts, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast, and we have all of the archives there, including my study notes. So take advantage of those things. If you need to hit me up, if you have a prayer request, or if you have a question, info at standstrongministries.org is it. Now, bringing you up to speed, because there's a lot, as I mentioned earlier, that we've been covering in the last three parts But Jesus, just the last podcast in podcast 92, he confronted the hypocrisy and the self-righteousness of the religious leaders. And at the very end of the podcast last week, we saw how Jesus at the end of that time when he was confronting the false worship of these religious leaders, where does he go? He goes to a place in the temple area where they're giving at the temple. And he uses a widow to show what true worship looks like. We saw how the woman, the widow, she didn't give out of wealth. She had none. She gave out of her poverty. And the lesson that we learned, and I pray it's one that we will never forget, it's not about the portion of giving that God cares about. It's the proportion that matters. See, the widow was about giving, not withholding. That is true consecration. That is true worship before God. So now here on part four of Tuesday of Passion Week, we now get into the Olivet Discourse. Now, if you're not familiar with the Olivet Discourse, these passages, when you look at Matthew 24, verses 1 through 51, Mark 13, 1 through 37, in Luke chapter 21, 5 through 36, This is the eschatology of Jesus. This is him speaking and talking in great detail, mind you, of things to come of the last days. Now, I must say, out of all the subject matters that I love studying, eschatology by far is one of my most favorite So I pray that we just dive into this passage of scripture, whatever you're going through right now, wherever you're at, join with me as we explore the Olivet Discourse. And hopefully you will gain not only a greater appreciation, but a greater understanding of what is going to take place in the end times. So let's jump right into Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Luke 21, verse 5, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Mark 13, verse 1, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. So at this point in time on Tuesday, Jesus is now, as we're told, leaving the temple and was at the Mount of Olives, which was on the east side of the Jerusalem overlooking the temple. 
So it's a great place for the disciples or anyone for that matter to overlook the structure, the size, the scope of the temple. Now, this temple was being rebuilt by Herod for the Jews. And a lot of it was being remodeled back in 20 BC and was still being remodeled even in AD 64. Now, leading up to this, this is important because as we're getting into the all the discourse now, Jesus talking about the last days, you go back to Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus was teaching about the moral principles of the kingdom of heaven. And not only that, but in Matthew 13, he provides details of, of how the kingdom of heaven, and even during the church age, will continue to expand and, and, and how the gospel is going to be spreading. And then in Matthew 21, verses 41 through 44, Jesus announces this impending judgment that will take place in Judea. So those are things that have yet to come, but they will happen soon enough. But then in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 through 25 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, he's going to be teaching about future events that's going to surpass even the time of the church age. Now, an interesting fact that I'd like to share with you is as Jesus is going to teach about the end times, as he's going to lay out prophecy here at the Mount of Olives, this is going to be the same place where Jesus Christ will return one day. Let me read you a passage where this is prophetic in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken for you will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the Mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Wow, isn't that awesome? Now, another passage we're told in Acts chapter one, notice in verse nine, it says, when he had said these things, that's Jesus, and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, if you recall at the ascension, it was at the Mount of Olives. So we can see the significance of Mount of Olives. Now notice how Jesus responds now in Luke chapter 21, verse six. He says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So here Jesus gives the prophetic destruction of the temple in AD 70. Now, the only section of the temple that does survive, even when the Romans came and ransacked it and burned it down in AD 70, is the Wailing Wall. And so Jesus now provides more details of Jerusalem's destruction in Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24. We'll get there in a minute. But notice in Mark 13, 3 through 4, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Matthew 24 verse three adds, 
the end of the age. So the four disciples that were told that talked to Jesus privately asked him essentially two key questions. Number one, when will these things happen? And two, what will be the sign when they happen in the end of time? Now, what's interesting is even leading up to this discussion at the Mount of Olives about what's going to happen in the end times. If you go back to Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, remember Jesus already told his disciples, and I got to just connect the dots about his second coming. He said there in Matthew 23, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this forms the backdrop to everything now that Jesus is going to get into in the Olivet Discourse. So in Matthew 24, verses four through eight, notice Jesus answers them. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Luke 21, verse eight, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. So here we see the first predicted prophecy that Jesus gives his disciples when they ask the question, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign at the end of time? He tells them about the increase of false Christ. Now, Ron Rhodes, who's a great source to look at when it comes to eschatology, he points out the parallel to the Olivet Discourse and the book of Revelation. He writes, Jesus speaks of the rise of false Christ, Matthew 24, 4 through 5, just as the first seal speaks of the rise of the Antichrist in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2. Jesus speaks of wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, verse 6, just as the second seal is said to involve warfare in which nations rise up against each other, Revelation 6, 3, and 4. Jesus speaks of famines, Matthew 24, verse 7, just as the third seal involves famine in Revelation 6, 5, and 6. Jesus speaks of earthquakes, Matthew 24, verse 7, just as the sixth seal involves an earthquake in Revelation 6, 12 through 14, end quote. So you see the parallelism with the Olivet Discourse to later one of the disciples who's here talking with Jesus at the Mount of Olives, who will have the final revelation, John himself, in the book of Revelation. So you see the connection there. Now here in verse six of Matthew 24, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Luke 21 verse 8, great signs from heaven. So the second predicted prophecy here is the increase of wars around the world. And the third, fourth, and fifth is the upsurge of famines, earthquakes, and pestilences. So when they asked when will these things take place? What's going to happen? He's describing that false Christs are going to come and there will be an increase in wars and an upsurge in famines and earthquakes and pestilences. Now, you and I know when you look at the course of history, when you look at warfare and you see the increase of illnesses, these pestilences and the natural disasters that are taking place, things are progressively getting worse. And so these are all signs, according to Jesus, that his return is near. Now, Mark 13, verse nine, he says, be on your guard. So when these things are happening, he says, what are you to do? You're to be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils. Now, when you jump back to Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, Luke says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. 
delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Now, Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and to put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Mark 13, 11 and 12. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And Matthew 24 verse 10. So here we see, my friends, in verses 9 through 14, Jesus gives a general account of what will occur in the last half of the tribulation. So the sixth predicted prophecy is this increase of persecution and martyrdom. Now, without question, we are seeing the rise of persecution and martyrdom taking place in the church age around the world. But what we're told by Jesus, and we see that in the account of the book of Revelation, that during the seven-year period of this tribulation, from Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 19, and this is the 70th week of Daniel that we see in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, there will be an increase of persecution and martyrdom. So here in Matthew 24, verses 11 through 14, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. So this is the seventh predicted prophecy now that there will be even more false teachers and prophets. And because lawlessness in verse 12 will be increased and the love of many will grow cold, Mark 13, verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So the eighth, according to Jesus, predicted prophecy is an increase in wickedness and hostility. Now, Matthew 24, 13 through 14, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. According to this section in Matthew 24, 11 through 14, as we looked at the seventh and the eighth predicted prophecy, now in verses 13, 14, the ninth predicted prophecy is the worldwide preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus was not saying that all of his followers will not be killed during the Great Tribulation. Of course not. The endurance terminology here is referring to the physical deliverance of the tribulational saints who survived to witness the second coming of Jesus. What that means is there will be many people who will come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior in the tribulation period. And they will survive even to the end when Christ returns the second coming, the second advent. As we're told, as I read earlier in Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 4, he will come and he will establish his kingdom. Now, in his book, Every Prophecy of the Bible, Clear Explanations for Uncertain Times, Dr. John Wolver writes this, quote, Matthew's account describes this event, which is yet to come, as a time when the temple will be desecrated in a similar way, for the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be... 1,290 days, according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. This period of approximately three and a half years will be the period of the great tribulation and will climax in the second coming of Christ. Accordingly, when the temple is desecrated by the future world ruler, 
it will be a specific sign of the imminent coming of Christ, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 4, Revelation 13, 11 through 15, end quote. So you see the time frame that we have in the tribulation period, according to Daniel 12, 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3, and 4, and then Revelation 13. So then when Jesus is pointing this out to them, he then says in Luke chapter 21, verses 18 through 19, but not a hair of your head will perish, but your endurance, you will gain your lives. So the point here is that some will live and some will die, obviously, but followers of Christ will all have eternal security and assurance. They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. And then he says in verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So from the point after the destruction of the city in AD 70, there will come a time when the nation of Israel will be under siege in the future by her enemies. Now, without going into great detail, we have certainly seen Israel go through a lot of turmoil, a lot of warfare since they became a nation again in May of 1948. They, the day after, were attacked by Egypt and the surrounding nations of the Middle East. And then we have the war in 1967 and then the war in 1973 and then on and on and on we go. But there will come a time where these same countries and others will direct another attack to try to wipe out the Jewish nation. And so Jesus says in Luke 21 verse 20, when they are under siege in the future by her enemies, the time is drawing near. Now, Matthew 24 verses 15 through 22 now so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now, this is interesting phraseology. So let's dive into the meaning and understanding. I had alluded to probably one of the most detailed and electrified prophecies known in scripture, and that is in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. And so what Jesus is mentioning here, this abomination of desolation the Antichrist, or known according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, the son of perdition, he will enter the tribulation temple. And what he's going to do is he's going to declare himself God. Now, this temple is, is known as the tribulation temple. It's the third temple that's going to be rebuilt. Now, before all this had taken place, even before Jesus is mentioning this prophecy here in Matthew 24, Antiochus Epiphanes, what he did and this is recorded in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. He defiled the temple and he erected a statue of Zeus or Jupiter in the Holy of Holies. Now, this act of the Antichrist, which will usher in the final three and a half years in the tribulation period, known as the Great Tribulation, he's going to defile the temple like Antiochus Epiphanes did. So in one sense, Daniel refers to a defilement that took place prior to the time of Jesus. And then it's going to happen again in the tribulation period. And so in verse 16 here, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then... There will be great tribulation, so as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
All right, so let's understand what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24. Now, Old Testament prophets, remember, they described numerous times in Scripture of these coming horrors that will occur. And matter of fact, Jeremiah, uh, going to Daniel, even portions in Isaiah, all of these prophets mention periods of the tribulation. They describe them. For example, Jeremiah 30, verses 4 through 7. Daniel chapter 9, 25 and 26. So these three and a half years that Jesus is talking about here, they will be so bad that if it wasn't limited within this time constraints of seven years, everyone would eventually die. Remember we talked about earlier that there will be some who come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior in the tribulation period that will survive through it all. And one of the reasons being, one, God protecting them, obviously, but also that the days are numbered and then Christ will return and he will usher in the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign. Ron Rhodes writes, quote, Christ in his Olivet Discourse warns the Jews to flee for their lives as quickly as possible. Many of the Jews apparently flee to the deserts and mountains, perhaps in the area of Bozra or Petra, about 80 miles south of Jerusalem. This escape from Jerusalem is described in Revelation chapter 12, end quote. So when the nations surround Israel in the tribulation period, at whatever point in time that this occurs, remember we just talked about the abomination and desolation. So the Antichrist is declaring himself to be God. He's forcing people around the world to worship him as a God. So he's, not no, he's no longer just a world leader. He's claiming like pharaohs of old, I am a God. Matter of fact, he's saying I am the God because he's possessed by Satan himself, according to Revelation chapter 13. So when this goes down, Many Jews will flee. They will desert the land and they will find refuge in the desert. Now, if you go back in the course of history, this has happened numerous times through thousands of years with the people of Israel. And that will continue, unfortunately, even in the end times. Then Luke chapter 21, verses 23 through 24 says, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So let me give you some insight what the times of the Gentiles is referring to. When you go back to the period of time when Babylon came into power in 605 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar, remember, had conquered Jerusalem in 586 BC, and then he led the Jews into captivity. So ever since that time, my friends, the Jews had not had full possession of their land as a people. And so when in 1948, when they became a nation again, the Middle East, the Arab nations, the people that oppose the Jews, they have sought to destroy them and to take over the land. I, I remember one old professor that I had years ago he said, there's three key things you have to remember in association with fulfillment with the people of Israel. Number one is land. Number two is the seed. And the final one is the blessing that comes uh, with God's people. And so these things are being fulfilled, but in the process, there's going to be a lot of battling and confusion and a lot of persecution. Now, Matthew 24, verses 23 through 28, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ. Or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. 
So once again, Jesus continues to tell his disciples, and we have here recorded in the Gospels, that there will be an increase of false messiahs who will rise and they will seek to deceive millions of people. So think about all the false movements, the different sects that are out there, the spiritual movements, and how many people come out saying they're the Messiah, they're false prophets. Oh, I have a revelation from, from heaven. And this will continue to pick up during the tribulation period. And I believe even that a lot of these false Christs and false prophets, remember, if if the Antichrist, the son of perdition, is saying that he himself is God, you're going to have a lot of opposing people to even that movement. So there's going to be even a lot of not just hostility, but a lot of murder and a lot of persecution that's going to go on as well. Verse 25 says, see, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So here we see in verses 25 and 27 that the second coming of Christ will be visible for all the people that are on the earth, okay? So no matter where you're at in the, in, in the world, when Christ returns, everybody will see it. It will be visible. And then he says here in verse 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So after the mass killing of people and the soldiers that are going to be destroyed in the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 18, the vultures will come and they will literally feed on the flesh of all these dead bodies when Jesus returns. So it's going to be a bloody mess. If you think about the massive warfare, you think World War I was bad, World War II was bad. This is going to be one of the worst battles ever. And then Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So what Jesus does here in verse 29 is he transitions to describe key signs that will occur at his triumphal return. Number one, he says the sun and the moon will, will darken. Two, stars will fall from the sky. And three, powers of the heavens will be shaken. So these dramatic events will be taking place. Now, when you look at Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26, notice he says here, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So these are all signs that are going to be leading to the second coming of Christ, according to Revelation 13, verse 5. And then in verse 30 of Matthew 24, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is also recorded in Mark 13, verse 26, Luke 21, verse 27. So John records the second coming of Christ in greater detail when you look at it in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. So the cool thing is, as John, as the disciples here listening in the Mount of Olives before the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Jesus is giving him insight, but then he will appear to him, the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation chapter 1, and he will give the final revelation to John. So John is getting some of it right now. Isn't that cool? And he'll get it later and he'll record for us this account in Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16. Now, Matthew 24 verse 31 says, and, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, the great Dr. John Wolvert issues a concise answer to the elect mentioned by Jesus here. He writes, quote, 
Some have taken the elect here to refer specifically to the elect living on earth, but it is more probable that this event will include all the elect or the saved, including Old Testament saints, saved Israel, the church, and the saints of the tribulation period leading up to the second coming. Some will need to be resurrected from the dead, such as the martyrs in Revelation 20 verses 4 through 6 and the Old Testament saints in Daniel 12 verse 2. The church was resurrected or translated earlier at the time of the rapture, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. At the second coming of Christ, no child of God will be left unresurrected or unrestored, but all will share in the millennial kingdom, end quote. Now we jump to Luke 21, verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That's great news because as we went through these terrible events, that's going to happen leading up to the tribulation and during the tribulation period. The great news is they will eventually come to an end. And so Jesus reminds his disciples that he will come and he will establish his kingdom and he will reign here on earth. Luke 21, 29 through 33. And so he tells them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation, that is the tribulation, will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So once again, Jesus uses a fig tree to point out something significant. When a fig tree, remember, uh, begins to sprout in April, summer is not far away, right? And the fruit will eventually come. So likewise, what Jesus is saying is you take all of these signs that he's talking about and he says, all this points to my return. So I'm now here in Matthew 24, 36 through 42, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. So here, Christ is clearly speaking from the vantage point as a human. So obviously in his divinity, he knows uh, when he will return. But at this point in time, in the, in the human side, he doesn't. For as were the days of Noah, verse 37, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So what Jesus is saying here is just like the flood, people will be living their life and then a sudden judgment will fall upon them. But remember, a lot of those people had the opportunity to repent leading up to the flood coming for over a hundred plus years. And likewise, a lot of these signs leading to the tribulation period, people have time to repent. So those who remain are gonna be sons and daughters of the kingdom. And those people who survive even after the tribulation period who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those are the sons and daughters who will repopulate the millennial kingdom. Now, as Jesus ends the Olivet Discourse, and I know this has been a mouthful, so make sure you check out my notes, standstrongministries.org to go, to go through them. If you have any questions, shoot me an email, info at standstrongministries.org. But at the very end of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus 
takes the opportunity to tell his disciples, as he's telling us here in the recorded word, to be alert, to not only look for these signs, but look for his coming, that we need to be vigilant. Jesus gives the example here of an owner arriving home unexpectedly. And in Luke 21, verses 34 through 36, he says to be watchful. Don't be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And the day will come and it'll be like a trap to you. So we have to be vigilant, my friends. In Matthew 24, 43 through 44, he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. So now he transitions and talks about a thief. He says, therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Matthew's account gives the example of a master on the lookout for a thief. This, like Mark's reference of a servant, are both given as examples of Jesus emphasizing. Think of a a man coming home unexpectedly. Think of a thief. If you know if he's going to come rob you, you're going to stay up and wait and anticipate that. Likewise, that's how we have to be for the second coming of Christ. Don't get lost in this world, but be fixated on the return of Christ. And then finally, in Matthew 24, 45 through 51, Jesus talks about the difference between a servant who waited and served and did the things he was called to do. And then the wicked servant who says to himself in verse 48, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus ends the Olivet Discourse by taking a look at a faithful and wise servant that underscores faithfulness. And those who do the things that God has called them to do, who await for his promised return, God will bless that person. But those who misuse their position, who are unfaithful, what will happen? God will judge them harshly. So there you have it, my friends. That's part four of Tuesday. I told you that this was definitely a very busy day for Jesus. And he covered a lot of ground, a lot of teaching. I know eschatology, if you don't have, kind of have maps in front of you and look at the diagrams, it's kind of hard to follow. So there's a lot of great resources out there. Hope that you'll take advantage of that. But check out my notes, as I mentioned online, to help you kind of go through this kind of stuff. But we will pick up next week and we'll cover the final part of Tuesday. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the virgins and the parable of the talents. It's all connected to the teaching of eschatology here and the all of the discourse. So I can't wait to dive into those portions and to clarify some things and that we can just surround ourselves in the power and truth of God's word. And as we just learned on today's podcast, let's anticipate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And hey, if Jesus tarries, then I'll see you next time on Stand Strong in the Word. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.